This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, September the 19th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the debate around gender pronouns in Saskatchewan has led to the province exploring the use of the notwithstanding clause. Journalist John Lepke will break that all down. And the weekly news quiz returns. Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and Amanda Shikarchi compete for the big W. But the hour begins with the regional news updates. Starting in British Columbia, drug decriminalization was a big focus on the first day of the BC Municipalities Convention. Mayors expressed the need for more resources on the ground to align with provincial decriminalization policies. Smithers Mayor Gladys Artell says the issue of addiction goes way beyond Vancouver. And the scale of the problem in our little community, I think, would astonish people when they come there. We see what happens on the downtown east side. It's in the news. Our town's not in the news, but it's the same. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry says she will release a report that focuses on BC's prescribed safe supply initiatives. So the Premier actually, in in response to concerns that were being raised by a number of people, asked me to do a review of the prescribed safer supply program that's in existence. And so I've been doing that over the last couple of months, meeting with uh, prescribers, researchers, people with lived and living experience, community members across the province. Dr. Henry acknowledged that more police resources are not necessarily the solution. We need to allow police to focus on on crime, on the predatory drug dealers that we know exist in many of our communities too, and on organized crime. We can't try and arrest our way out of this. We can't try and treat our way out of this. We need to find ways to work together on this. Over to Ontario. Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow have met to discuss funding shortfalls in the city budget. Toronto is facing a $1.5 billion deficit. The city is asking the province to bring in a municipal sales tax for Toronto or to give the city a portion of its existing harmonized sales tax. Ford does not support either idea. I'm just not in favor, and especially in these times that people are struggling to put more of a burden on the backs of the taxpayers. There's always ways to, we we look at revenue growth uh, opposed to uh, taxing people, and there's, there's always a way of doing it. Mayor Chow says the money has to come from somewhere. Whatever kind of revenue we, uh, the city of Toronto, really doesn't completely care where the money comes from. Challenge Ford did agree to form a working group to come up with solutions. That's your look at the regional news. Here comes Brock Richardson with a sports chat. Brock, 
week two of the National Football League season is in the books. Nine teams have started the season with a record of zero wins and two losses. Brock, you went into the history books to examine what that means for these teams if they hope to turn around their season. Yes, I did. I'm a man of my word. I told you last week that I would do this research, and I did. Uh, so we're going to go back uh, 52 complete seasons. So that's uh, 1970. Uh, there have been 400 teams that have started the season with an 0-2 record. 38 of those teams have made the playoffs. Most recently, the teams that you would be familiar with that have made the playoffs is the 2018 Houston Texans, who started the season 0-2, ended up 11-5. and In that same season, the Seattle Seahawks started the season 10 or 0 and 2 and finished at 10 and 6 those teams both made it to the wild card round and got bounced any idea dave if i was to tell you four teams made it to the super bowl any idea which of those four teams may have won the super bowl Okay, I cannot name all four teams that made the Super Bowl. I can tell you for sure one of the teams that won the Super Bowl that started 0-2 was the 2001-2002 New England Patriots. You are correct. And the other team was the 1993 Dallas Cowboys, who finished the season 12-4. and So those are your two teams that won the Super Bowl. Now, if I'm scrolling in my sheet here, just give me one second. Uh, I'll tell you the other two teams as well. Uh, one second. My computer froze. Buffering, uh, buffering, buffering, yes. buffering. You know, Brock, while you're scrolling for that, let me just offer a little bit more added context here. A lot of the numbers that you're referring to are from different iterations and generations of the number of games in a schedule. So in 1970, there was only 12 games in the NFL schedule. In the 80s, there was only 14 games. It was in 1991 that the schedule expanded to 16. It was only a couple of years ago that the schedule expanded to 17. So 0-2 doesn't quite mean the same thing in 2023 as it did in 1970, but it's still a very relevant data point when you get down to it because you've got to climb over a lot of people along the way if you're trying to squeak into the playoffs. Did I buy enough time? for you there brock you did thank you uh so we have the 2007 giants who uh were lost to the undefeated new england patriots no they in... beat they beat they beat the patriots in that super bowl oh according to what i i found they lost in 2007 interesting no they beat the, the patriots that... they, they snapped yep. the patriots undefeated season interesting i will have to go back and see if i misread that um um stat the other one that i found was in 1996 the new england patriots were bounced by the green bay packers in that super bowl so those were the two that i found but i'll have to go back and check on the other one because maybe i misread well, you don't you don't need to I... you don't need to check i can tell you the new york giants won the super bowl in 2007 <laughs> Yeah, fair. That was the infamous David Tyree helmet catch. I you don't you don't need to check the numbers on that one, bro. Oh yeah, th that that's right. That was that 
really yes i remember that now yeah, but you yeah. but you are you are right the patriots did get bounced by the green bay packers in that uh, in that 96 uh, super bowl that was brett Favre's first ever super bowl okay brock staying in the world of football monday night football was a doubleheader last night the new orleans saints marched over the carolina panthers 20 to 17 but the real main course was the pittsburgh steelers planting the cleveland browns 26 22 brock two defensive touchdowns for the Steelers was the difference in that one. The first score of the game and the last score of the game coming on defense for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, it was a interesting game back and forth. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers needed to win this game. I have some uh, interesting stats for you regarding this, uh, this series between these two teams. So Pittsburgh Steelers have defeated... The Cleveland Browns going into last night's game 19 times. And then Monday night, Pittsburgh has won on Monday night 20 times straight going into last night. So now it's 21 and adversely 20 games. So interesting stats if you pull into Pittsburgh and what they've done on Monday night and against their rivals in the Cleveland Browns. Wow, that's uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers showing up in primetime and not so much the Cleveland Browns. Although, Brock, I'm sure Cleveland Browns fans can take some solace in knowing the primetime game they played in the playoffs a couple of years ago went to the Browns. So, you know what they say, we don't worry about the regular season here in Cleveland. We're all about playoff success. And I say that with uh, my tongue deeply planted in my mouth. Yes, absolutely. A uh, big loss for the Cleveland Browns, of course, as you you would know, Nick Chubb, who looks like to have had an ACL MCL. He suffered this same similar injury in college. So we're going time number two with this one. Uh, he's also led the league in uh, uh, yards run over the last number of years. So big, big loss if you're the Cleveland Browns and hopefully they can recover from that. But when you miss a guy of his Ilk, this could be a problem moving forward in the season. Yeah, that's a huge loss in terms of a star running back for uh, for the Brownies. Okay, Brock, that's it. All the time we got for today. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Indeed we will. That's Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports Desk coming up after the break. The debate around gender pronouns in Saskatchewan has led to the province exploring the use of the notwithstanding clause against any human rights challenges. Journalist John Lepke will break it all down. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Saskatchewan is pressing ahead with legislation to restrict how children under 16 years old can handle their pronouns. The proposed law would require parents to be informed if children want to change their name or pronouns in a school setting. There is some pushback against this policy. Legal arguments will be heard this morning by a judge in Saskatchewan. John Lepke is a freelance journalist based in Saskatoon. John can offer up some more context on the story. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning. So, John, starting with some of the news developments, what kind of legal challenge is being expected? Yeah, absolutely. So you are Pride, which is a local support organization um, based at the University of Regina, has has brought a, a legal conversation. We've seen this in other jurisdictions, most notably New Brunswick. This felt sort of like the the inevitable 
um, place that, that this would go. And this comes on the eve of uh, national-wide anti-2SLGBTQIA plus um, protest that is is planned and and a counter protest that is also planned so it's a and i don't say this lightly it is a busy week on this front saskatchewan's child advocate released a report late late last week on the issue what are the key takeaways from that report yeah the key takeaways i must say when you read it it sounds very saskatchewan it is very we see what you tried to do here but you're doing it badly um so they, there's uh, wording in there, the advocate quote New Brunswick saying, right, the, the, the fact that the state should be out of people's affairs, that, that kind of baseline of conservative governorship does not mean that we can actively cause harm for uh, children. It's just, you know, it sort of toes the line on, on parental rights, um, uh, you know, and, and sort of touches on the fact what uh, talks around, but touches on the fact that uh, you know this isn't a, an excuse for for bigotry, and that there are other ways um, to to create safety in classrooms that that don't have anything to do. Basically, it's saying we can't we can't just because it makes parents uncomfortable, or or we have to find other ways to make people um, feel heard in the classroom that aren't ways that can actively harm children. Yeah, one of the takeaways that I had from reading it in broad strokes was that parental rights don't necessarily supersede Sorry. the rights of a child. Yeah, absolutely. What has Premier Scott Moe had to say about legal challenge about the legal challenges? Well, he said he's going to use many tools, and when asked if those tools could include the notwithstanding clause, um, that. Uh, that he he confirmed that that they would look at the notwithstanding clause so um it's unclear at this time what those other tools would be but um they're they'll be in court arguing that that they can do this john what's your perception of how provinces and territories wave around the notwithstanding clause for anything that may be uh challenged from a human rights perspective yeah, I mean, if we look at the last time Saskatchewan used it, they used it uh, in order to allow um, public uh, public tax money to fund Catholic schools. Um, we won't go into that today because that's a long and drawn out conversation. But we often see the notwithstanding clause weaponized against marginalized communities. Alberta invoking it around same-sex marriage really comes to mind in the context of this um, conversation uh and, and the long, uh, you know, drawn out um, arguments that happened when they were bringing forward the idea of using the notwithstanding clause in that case. I think it really, um, it, it, it sometimes is wielded by particular governments as a get out of jail free card and, and is trying to hold it over the federal government instead of a tool um you know, the, they argue, as the Saskatchewan government is, that that all they're doing is representing their constituents. But we saw a recent poll that saw, you know, the 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 claims about public support were were fairly uh, flimsy. 
Yeah, the, the gender pronouns one is a divisive issue with some passive, uh, with, with some passionate people on either side. But you're right, in terms of any kind of like broad-based support for, for uh, absolute policy on gender pronouns, that has not been reflected in any kind of significant uh, national, national polling, uh, which is, again, interesting, right? Because people talk about constituency uh, versus actual numbers, right? Who's sending letters versus who's actually voting on some of it, voting in some of these in some of these polls. Uh, John, what are some of the broader implications here? You mentioned a few examples from the prairies. I could cite how uh, the Premier of Ontario uh, was going to use the notwithstanding clause in labor negotiations last year. I could cite how Quebec has been bringing the notwithstanding clause in for uh, issues of policy related to cultural and religious expression and linguistic expression. But what's the broader implication of provinces getting really comfortable with the clause? Because it does feel like it's really in the last 10 years that premiers have kind of had the light bulb go off in their head saying oh, wow, this is a really powerful tool if we want to use it for anything we want to. Maybe from a disability point of view, what are some of the broader implications? Yeah, absolutely. So I think from a disability point of view, the, the obvious touch point would be the Accessible Canada Act. I mean, we've seen uh, the way that that is set up and, and provinces having to do their own acts. I think I'm no legal scholar, but it um, insulates it a little bit from, from things like this. Where we might see, um, uh, where I think it's interesting to look at is where, as you mentioned, the 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 the, uh, the suggestions that we've talked about today as previous examples are examples of reinforcing existing power structures and existing power structures that deeply affect um, the marginalized or the less powerful. I mean, even in the case of labor negotiations, if you're trying to wave it around uh, to force people back to work, you are trying to reinforce in a way um, a status quo that the workers obviously don't agree with. Um, and from a disability perspective, uh, I think like everything else, when we see something like this, we have to be really careful um, and, and mindful, particularly as a disability community in activism and advocacy, to know where this could be invoked in the future. Um, just because maybe the Accessible Canada Act and uh, is insulated a little bit from this doesn't mean it will always be insulated from it. So um, how we can how we can plan for the future is where I see it in the context of the disability community. You know, John, that's a very similar thought to what I had in regards to whether a province that is unwilling to walk down the pathway of their own accessibility legislation and then is not happy with what kind of requirements might come out of the Accessible Canada Act, or maybe a province that says, forget the Accessible Canada Act and forget accessibility legislation. We are going to refuse to make any kind of accessibility legislation at all. And using the notwithstanding mm -hmm. clause to say, we are now free from a human rights challenge. Well, that's pretty problematic. Again, it's it's a logic, it's it's an extension, it's a slippery slope mm -hmm. argument. It's one that necessarily doesn't have uh, empirical evidence at the moment, but there's not a lot that can stop a government from doing that if they wanted to. Yeah. Well, and, and when I say insulated, what I'm what I mostly mean is that the um the federal uh, the Accessible Canada Act almost entirely uh is is talking about um you know federal buildings and programs yes and like yes that, that exist on saskatchewan soil the other thing that i'd like to add around this if i can is that you know we also have to look at this particularly these gender uh and pronouns and, and names um uh i even hasten to call it a debate uh this uh 
this movement forward by the Saskatchewan government through the lens of disability. We know that many uh, 2SLGBTQIA plus folks are disabled. There's a lot of kinship and interplay there. And so how that plays out in how disability community can support um, is also going to be interesting in the days, weeks, months, and knowing this province years ahead with this sort of rhetoric. John, let's change the tone here on the way out. Have a little bit of fun with the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. The United States Senate no longer has a formal dress code in place. Forget tuxedos, no more suit jacket entire required for the gentleman. What do you think about dress codes? How do you feel about dress codes, John? Good, bad, or I don't care? Uh, it actually connects to what we were talking about earlier, but I promise in a slightly more positive way, which is that you know, often dress codes are are really weaponized against certain people. We certainly see this in schools, certain identities, dress codes and their extension into, you know, um, how you can wear your hair in certain ways and people not being able to wear their hair naturally. So I think generally speaking, they are bad. Um, but in my own personal life, I'm a freelancer who works from home. So um, <laughs> I don't care. You're not imposing a personal dress code on yourself. That's probably a good policy. When I was in high school, uh, they had a policy in place that said that women could not show their belly buttons with the shirts that they were wearing. And if they did, John, mm. if they did, they would have to wear this giant orange T-shirt of shame. Well, being the fashionable young man that I was, uh, guess what my favorite T-shirt was? A giant orange T-shirt. So I was always wearing the punishment T-shirt, and it was not for showing my midriff. There you go. Interesting movement from a you know a hat to be worn in the corner in the early time of our years to a shirt that you have to wear. I'm not sure what the the modern invocation of that is, um, but I'll let you know if I update my own personal dress code. Here. Okay, <laughs> sounds good, John. Thank you for this. Thanks so much. That's John Lepke, a freelance journalist based in Saskatchewan. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has questions about. Air taxis traveling through the sky to get away from gridlock. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Alex Smythe, forget public transit. You want to talk about taxis. Yeah, and not just any taxis, Dave. The future of taxis are set to take flight in Ohio. Chuck Severson is clear for takeoff with this report. They'll build air taxis on a 140-acre site at Ohio's Dayton International Airport by 2025. That's in an agreement announced between the state and Joby Aviation, Inc., based in California. The futuristic aircraft are spreading around the world as a ride-sharing alternative in crowded cities. Joby's Ohio facility would produce up to 500 of the quiet aircraft a year, creating 2,000 jobs. The project is supported by about $325 bucks from a state program, Jobs Ohio, and a local investment. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. 
And so for reference, these specific air taxis, they look like a mix between a bit of a helicopter and a very large drone, which includes six rotating propellers above the body of the aircraft. So with the large investment in Ohio uh, that they're making in these air taxis, I wanted to take this topic for a bit of a spin. So uh, Ramya, why don't we start with you on this one? Do you think that air taxis are actually the future or will they just be a luxury for the rich? Uh, to be honest, Alex, I'm having trouble just imagining this being a thing like i know that it's out there now in terms of uh, funding and research and actual investment into it uh, you know manpower and money but i feel like it feels very futuristic we talk about or people have different things that make them feel this way i'm assuming um some of us still talk about ai like it's in the future and to me air taxis is just one of these things that feel very make believe or you know that it, can this be a possible thing in the future seems like a far off question that's where i'm coming from i'm still with autonomous vehicles okay yeah that's happening and <laughs> other things but <laughs> air taxi just seems like like how do we convert our systems to accommodate these things i like that rumia is thinking i uh, keep the wheels on the ground there's something to yeah. unpack there rumia but I, but i want to give nazreen an opportunity on this one now air taxis the future or silly gimmick for the rich i see what rumia is trying to say um i feel like it's so hard picturing it that that will be the future um i think it depends on pricing i feel like if it's i mean inflation you know um I would do it once in a lifetime, but seeing it in the future all the time, everybody just using it, I think it's hard to picture. I would say it's just for the rich. <laughs> Alex, I don't necessarily trust uh, humans to uh, fly around in unregulated airspace. Uh, so that's where I would say this probably isn't part of the future, or at least not as the current infrastructural uh, position stands. Where do you land? Uh, yeah, so Dave, I'm kind of along the same lines as you and uh, with uh, what Ramya said as well. There's some places this just never will uh, really take off because of the structure of the city. You're never going to have this in New York City on any large scale. How are you going to land or deliver somebody to their address or appointment? You know, unless every single building has a helipad on the roof or yeah. whatnot, there's just so many people in such a condensed area. I think you have to be so specific, like Ohio, sure, okay, there's a lot of space there, or like <laughs> a Nevada, or like some of the Southwest uh, US, where there's a lot of space that you can kind of land these types of aircrafts. In like Toronto, I don't foresee this ever happening. Okay, so I think we kind of have unanimity across the board. So I'm almost concerned how we like really pick at this conversation more broadly speaking. But let's say the price is okay, Nizreen's concern. And let's say some of the infrastructural standards have been sorted out so that it's actually safe to use. Ramya, would you use an air taxi as part of your daily commute? Daily commute, no, but intercity and things like that, yeah, probably. Whoa, like aggressive. Flying over the I 401. Know. Yeah, no. Um, it's because I, I don't know. I, I, I think that maybe the only thing that I would consider is time, right? How long a commute takes right now and vers versus how long the air taxi would take. But even that, it's only a matter of time before we're talking about traffic and all the other things that already exist with land transportation and wheel, wheel transportation uh, to then bring those concepts and issues into air taxis.
Yeah, so Nazreen, let, let's say some of the regulatory stuff and the cost stuff has been sorted out. Would you be able to use an air taxi as part of your uh, Guelph to North York commute when we make you do it? I would. I definitely would. I feel like just in a, just in a snap, I would get there. But the question is, does it feel like a private jet? Because if it does, I would use it every day. I, I feel like the, I feels... feel like that's I feel like that's almost impossible to like to do with, with this setup though, right? Like and we're talking about why... a couple of propellers, not a jet. And I'm telling you, like I feel like that's where I'm questioning. Would I use this every day? I I would feel safer on the ground, um, but if I use it one once here and there to North York, I would be down. Alex, forget a go train to Union and then a, then a subway to Pape and then a bus from Pape to the office. Would you make an air taxi part of your daily commute? I would on a specific occasion. So if the weather was, if it was a nice summer day, yeah, I, I could foresee myself using it. It would just solve a lot of headaches, a lot of the transfers. You just land on top of the AMI building. Hey, I, I'm I'm fine with that. I'll make my way down the stairwell. Like, I, I will, like, as I'm flying over the QEW and the Gardner and the DVP, I can just kind of look down and snicker at all the people stuck in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. <laughs> I, I would love to uh, be able to use this on, like, a day-to-day -day, uh, thing if it ever got to that point. So I think especially on the way home. Okay, on mm. on the way home. There you yeah. go. I like the I, I like that. So I think what everybody's kind of scratching at here is we acknowledge the potential and the possibility of using it, but as Ramya as you pointed out, the logistics really do matter here and I don't trust the province, the city, companies, people, whomever to actually sort out these logistics in a meaningful way at least in our lifetime. Mhm. Mm the Everything is novelty, right? The, in terms of at least uh, efficiency and, oh, it's going to be faster commute time. Oh, there's less people doing this. It's more money. Whatever it is, it's all novelty and it's all a matter of time before um, it. we end up with the same problems. That Those problems may not come in our lifetime if these taxis really do take off. Um, but definitely something to say about, well, when are we going to have the same conversations we're having now about things that already exist, like traffic and commute time, yeah. and, um, proper accessibility. As four people who represent uh, the wide swath that is the legally blind community, at least as pedestrians, Nizreen, I don't mind the merit of putting people up in the sky, but then I'm just worried they're going to fall on me as I'm walking down the street. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> The amount of times, forget about that happening, but the amount of times just commuting and almost getting hit by a car every five minutes is um, the fun of it, I guess. But so, <laughs> interesting way to phrase that. Okay, just saying. Um, I I would be nervous about that. That's why I would consider just being up in the air, and that's that's fine. I just. I get nervous walking around so many people, especially in downtown when you're trying to commute home. And that's why I brought that up because you're so tired. There's too many people. The traffic is crazy. I end up getting home at like th three and a half hours later. It's uh, it, it gets insane. So that's when I'm like, okay, this is uh, a good offer to just be home in just a few minutes, I guess. Like, 
it's it's a nice it's a nice offer i don't know but just um, a few i don't know but just a few minutes uh, this isn't a teleportation machine it's still like we're still bound by the laws of physics but here you get what i mean i know what you, you mean what I, mean. I know you as again this is the public transit experience right that for yeah. you to get home to guelph requires like about 77 planes trains and automobiles to actually get exactly. you there from north york which is <laughs> preposterous because north york is closer to guelph than union station but somehow you have to go to union station yep. to get to guelph go figure alex smith la last word on this goes to you it kind of sounds like any enthusiasm that the four of us have around this which by the way is limited is even more limited by just the fact that we don't trust the logistics around this yeah but i i like to believe in optimism dave i i like to look to the future and and have a sense that we'll figure something out eventually i mean let's not <laughs> refer to the daily poll from yesterday with the issues around public transit and the fact that we don't want uh, on-demand busing and shuttling because we already have that and it just doesn't work i like to think that we could get there we we could invest in this we can make finally some form of transportation work effectively for people who want it. I, I think if you had some sense of, okay, well, there are certain like landing spots and landing zones, even if it's not every single place you need to go, if it's like, okay, here is a area you can land within North York, it's gonna be a heck of a lot closer than it is if you're doing like, okay, I have to go through three or four different connections. I could land at the Science Center and then walk up, I would be fine with that. You know, it's not gonna be, the, the perfect solution, but there could be some form of improvement to what we currently have, because really what we have doesn't work, and yeah. we've seen in, in any other infrastructure developments, uh, they're they're not very positive. Spaghetti at the wall on a Tuesday, my favorite kind of day. Alex Nazreen, thank you for this. Alex, don't go far. You're back for the news quiz after the break. Ramya, you get to go away in a moment, but then you come back at 2 p.m. Eastern time for another episode of Kelly and Ramya. Yes, that's right. We're talking um, about brain health with wellness contributor Frances Wong. She wants to talk about what brain health is and how we can maintain good brain health. Brain health. Uh, also, if you're looking to play blind hockey in Montreal, we have our community reporter, Mathieu Richette, joining us to talk about how you can get involved. Plus, on our um, uh, veterinarian chat with Dr. Danielle Johnkind, she's talking about brushing and bathing our pets regularly, like which pets need it, which pets don't, and what your options are. Oh, sounds like a fun show this afternoon. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great day. You too. That's Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. If you miss it, I understand, I forgive you. You can always find the show on your favorite podcasting platform by searching for Kelly and Ramya, just like you can find this show on your favorite podcasting platform. Just search for Now with Dave Brown. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, review and maybe even share with your friends in a group chat or right there on the social media machine. Coming up after the break, the weekly news quiz returns. Alex Smythe, Karen McGee, and Amanda Shikarchi will go tet a tet a tet head-to-head-to-head to put it bilingually. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The last segment of the Tuesday show means that competitive juices must flow. It's time for the weekly news quiz. 
not be much of a competition without contestants. So let's say hello to the people who make up the weekly news quiz, starting once again with a hello to the co-host of the show, Alex Smythe. Hello. Hello, Dave. Also saying hello to entertainment reporter Amanda Shikarchi. Amanda, hello. 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 <laughs> and AMI content development specialist, Karen, is that still the title? Karen McGee in Morrisburg, Ontario. Last I checked, yes. It's, Don't hold me to that. It's changed many times, and I have trouble keeping track of these things. Hopefully, none of you have had trouble keeping track of the news this week. Here are the rules, in case this is your first time at home playing along. There are three rounds of questions, with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple-choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move along until the point is awarded, until it's eventually given to me. The order of contestants was drawn by producer Paul Daniel. The order is Amanda, Alex, and Karen. Round number one, starting with international news. Amanda, this U.S. high-profile politician a high-profile Republican senator announced his attention to, intention to retire in 2025. Who is the senator? Uh, can I get the options, please? Is it Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney, or Chuck Grassley? I feel like it's Mitch McConnell. That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for a steal. Is it Mitt Romney? It is indeed Mitt. Romney says it's time for a new generation of leaders. Alex on the board with one point and an opportunity for a big-time lead with question number two. Torrential rains caused the bursting of two dams near the coastal city of Derma. In what country is Derma located? Ooh, uh, I'll take the options, Dave. Is it Tunisia, Libya, or Algeria? Completely different region than what I was thinking, so I'm, I'm glad I took the options. Um, I'm going to go with Algeria. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, is it Tunisia or Libya? It is Libya. That's correct. One point for Karen McGee, roughly 100 50 miles east of Benghazi, Derna was hit with more than 16 inches of rain in 24 hours. Okay, Karen McGee, now here's your opportunity to capture the lead. After a 13-day manhunt, escaped murderer Danilo Cavalcante was captured by authorities. In what state was Cavalcante captured? I'm going to swing for it and say Pennsylvania. Two points for Karen McGee. The big swing. So that's three points for Karen McGee after round one. One point for Alex. Amanda sitting on the goose egg. But don't worry, in round two, all the questions are related to sports, which means it's anybody's game to get back into it. Alex, first question headed to you right here. This Canadian women's team won its second straight title at the FIBA 3x3 Women's Series Final Sunday in Mongolia. Who did Canada defeat in this basketball 3x3 tournament? 
I have no idea, Dave. Can I please get the options? Is it Italy, Serbia, or France? I'm going to go with France. That is correct. One point for Alex Smythe. Canada beat France 16 to 15. Team. So Alex sitting on two points now. Karen McGee, this makes this question very, very important for you. Coming from the hockey world, Mike Babcock's return to the NHL as a coach lasted only two months after he resigned on Sunday. What team was Babcock supposed to coach? Don't ever ask to look at anybody's cell phone, dude. Um, Columbus. Columbus Blue Jackets is correct. Two more points for Karen McGee pulling ahead with this thing at a total of five points to Alex's two and Amanda's zero. Holy smokes. Associate coach Pascal Vincent was named as Babcock's replacement. And a big shout out to Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Pots Thoughts podcast. They did 20 great minutes talking about Babcock yesterday. So check that out when you're done listening to a Now with Dave Brown today. Amanda, you are in deep trouble here. You got to start getting some questions right or else. So question number three of round number two, a British court found that Olympic gold medalist Eric Lamaze had faked cancer to get out of a 2010 business deal. In what sport did Lamaze win his gold medal? I will take the options, please. Is it diving, show jumper, or cycling? Diving? That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for a very important steal. Uh, would it be cycling? That is incorrect. Karen McGee gets the default point on show jumper. So after round number two, Karen McGee in just an ultra huge lead here. Six to Alex's two to Amanda's zero. It's going to take a miracle to knock Karen McGee off her perch. But we're a sports fan here. We believe in miracles. Karen McGee, you get the first question of the third round. Bernard Looney resigned as the CEO of a multinational petroleum company after failing to disclose past relationships with colleagues. What is the petroleum company? Oh, I'll take the options, please. Is it Chevron, BP, or ExxonMobil? I don't have a clue. I'm just going to say ExxonMobil. That is incorrect, Amanda. A chance for a steal. Chevron or BP? Chevron? That is incorrect. Alex Smythe picking up the default point. Looney took over as CEO of BP in 2020. I wonder what kind of golden handshake he got on the way out. Okay, question number two of round number three. This one coming from the world of sports as well. The Professional Women's Hockey League held its first ever player draft yesterday. Amanda, which city had the first pick? Uh, Options. Was it Toronto, New York, or Minnesota, St. Paul? New York? That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for a steal. Toronto or Minnesota, St. Paul? Was it Toronto? That is incorrect. Toronto is not the center of the hockey universe. It is Minnesota, St. Paul. Former University of Minnesota star Tyler Heiss is staying home to begin her professional career with the Minnesota franchise. So with that, uh, Karen McGee picked up the default point and the win. But nonetheless, we can uh, continue here with a little bit of fun. Alex, let's just see. Let's just see. Because if you'd picked up that point, this would have given you an opportunity to tie the whole darn show by answering 
answering this question without the option. So let's just play in fantasy land for a second and see if you could do it. Alex, which U.S. state became the first to abolish cash bail as a condition of pretrial release? Oh, um, hmm. I'm going to go with New York. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, for the sake of argument, do you want to try to make a guess here? I was going to say New York as well. So uh, I like the choices. Okay. Illinois, Vermont, or California? California. That is incorrect. Oh. Amanda, is it Illinois or Vermont? And just know if you get this wrong, I get the default points. Uh, Illinois. Oh, Amanda got it right. And I don't get the default points. Give her the ding. Give Amanda the ding. There it is. I'm very, very disappointed. I was hoping for my first default point of 2023. Uh, lots of time here on the clock. Let's do the, uh, let's do the tie-breaking question just for the sake of having a little bit of fun. Amanda, you don't get to answer this first because you know the answer. This was part of your entertainment (laughs) report last week. Which recording artist won nine MTV Video Music Awards, including Artist of the Year, Song of the Year, Video of the Year, and Best Pop Artist? This happened last week. Who won it? Karen. Karen. Taylor Swift. It was indeed the Swizzler. Taylor Swift uh, picked up 23 total wins over the course of her career. That's the second most awarded artist in the show's history beyond only Beyonce. So Taylor Swift making some moves here. Okay, with that and a little bit of fun, the winner is... Ron McGee back in the winner's circle. Congratulations. Feels like it's been forever. It is forever. Well, it's been it's been a little bit. So congratulations. You get the uh, Mickey Mouse crown back, although I have no idea where that is around AMIHQ. We might have lost it in the move back in January. So uh, so we'll just pretend we'll just pretend the Mickey Mouse crown is around. Karen, you mentioned something to us during the break. What day is it? Today's International Talk Like a Pirate Day, Dave. Alex Smythe, what's your pirate joke? Yeah, so what is a pirate's favorite letter? Amanda, what's what's Amanda? Amanda, what's 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 a what's a pirate's favorite letter? R. R. Alex. Alex. Actually, they're quite fond of the sea. Oh, come on. That's excellent. Oh, my gosh. And the best part is it it works both ways because if someone does say C, you can just come back and say, are you sure? I love that. May I use that? Can I steal that? Go right ahead. And it just it just helps, you know, that I, I can actually kind of sound like a pirate naturally because I'm still getting over COVID. So I have an extra raspy and uh, rough voice. So I just naturally sound like a pirate. Alex, is it is it COVID or is it scurvy? You know, if we're really going to do this pirate thing through and through, it's not enough oranges and lemons in your life. Uh, well, you know, uh, this last week I, I've consumed a bunch of vitamin C, hoping it would help. It has not helped, so I think I can rule out scurvy at this point, Dave. <laughs> uh, this, I'm putting this. I'm putting you guys on the spot with this yeah. one. Your favorite historical pirate. Your favorite mm. historical or fictional, fictional or historical pirate. Karen, do you have a favorite historical or fictional pirate? I'll tell you mine. I've got Roberto Clemente of the Pittsburgh Pilots. 
pirates. Oh, okay. So there's a female pirate who was an absolute beast, and I can't think of her name, and it's driving me crazy. But back then, it wasn't just male pirates. There was a female one, and I, I wish I could Google quickly and see her name. Boom, Karen McGee fighting for equality perpetually. Big fan of that one. Amanda, your favorite historical or fictional pirate? I'm going to go with a fictional pirate, the pirate from the Pirates of the Caribbean, just because I love doing that ride whenever I'm at Disneyland. Oh, Jack Jack Sparrow, right? Jack Sparrow? Is that is that the pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, all right, there you go. He's the main one, Johnny Grace Depp. O'Malley. Uh, Karen, Did I just control room? Grace O'Malley. Uh, Cra- Cra- Grace O'Malley. Karen McGee barked that one over the air. That was sorry. well done. That was well done, Karen. I would have come back to you. I wasn't going to leave sorry, you alone. I'm sorry, I got excited. Uh, yes, I, you know, I got excited. You, you do. It's okay. Alex Smythe, favorite historical yeah, I, or fictional pirate? You know, originally when when uh, Karen mentioned female, I thought she would have said Anne Bonny. But uh, for myself, it's Black Sam Bellamy. He is a historical pirate. He was one of the the greatest uh, uh, pirates that not a lot of people know about because he was able to capture ships without even firing shots, without, you know, sacrificing his crew. He was a tactician. He had huge wealth, very short reign, but he had one of the wealthiest uh, bounties on his ship when it ran aground back in the early 18th century. So he's always been my favorite. I, I just love him. I just wish we'd see more of him in uh, media. Yes or no question here. Got to be fairly quick on this one. I don't think I could be a pirate. I don't think I would make it at sea for days and months and years on end. Alex, could you be a pirate? Dave, you and I are both way too big to be on a ship, so no. Okay. <laughs> Amanda Shkarchi, could you be a pirate? Maybe, yes, I guess. (laughs) Doesn't seem very enthusiastic there. Karen, could you be a pirate? Totally love it, but you guys are definitely the very modern. Oh, oh, I just lost it. I have a modern matter. You know, Pirates of the Penzance. I had it in my head and it's gone. Okay, yeah. I have to uh, to actually sing it and I won't do that to you guys. Well, you could. We wouldn't mind. (laughs) Modern Major General. Very sick. I'd sing it. And on on the way out here, uh, the show is not a time to reflect on the death of Jimmy Buffett. The best Jimmy Buffett song of all time is A Pirate Looks at 40, uh, a song that's deeply entrenched in my own midlife crisis. That's Karen McGee, Amanda Shikarchi, and Alex Smythe. That's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry. Everything comes back again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time, right here on AMI-tv. Until then, I'm Dave Brown, reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.